Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, and I'm joined again by Megan Boxall. How are you doing, Megan? I'm very well, thank you, John. Good. And Ian Smith. Hi, John. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. This is becoming a bit of a regular team here. It's, uh, it's kind <laughs> Feels of, good. It's comfortable. It does. It does. It's good. But this is largely, again, because you've written a fair chunk of the magazine this week. The big news is in your sectors. The hack. Yes. The hack. hack. Is very exciting for UK companies. Not in a good way for people who are having operations. <laughs> Not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> the weekend, but, but, uh, yeah, ironically, for what we write about, it was, it was a great week for the, uh, for the hack. And uh, but also some, some some news in the pharma sector, which is not so yeah. great. But we'll come on to no. that in a minute. Lots of results this week. Really weirdly busy week this week, hasn't it been? Yes, I'm not sure if that's people uh, getting all their information out ahead of the half term. Everyone wants to go go on holiday, <laughs> yeah. free from worrying about putting their results out. But anyways, lots of results this week. Uh, a mini flurry, yeah. Right. Well, let's start with uh, the big news this week. Should we talk about the manifestos? Why not? No, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't give a reason. <laughs> Ian, you have talked about them enough on Twitter. I don't know what you, you, what you, would, what you would otherwise be doing at, at midnight uh, on the day of release of these things. But uh, Thanks for the shout out, at Ian KM. <laughs> All followers are welcome, politically engaged or not. Yeah, I mean, I mean, actually what it does mean is that I'm on Twitter too at that time of night. <laughs> yeah. going, what the hell is Ian doing? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I've been kind of tweeting what I, the main kind of business and economic policies from the major parties, although that might be a subjective term, um, from the manifest. I think it's important. Some people would say, yeah, let's, let's dismiss. This election is going to just be a conservative majority. There's no need to kind of pay attention to anything else um, that's going on. Um, but, you know, these are people standing for seats in our legislature legislature if there are areas of overlap between Labour and the Conservatives and if the Lib Dems are on board too certain policies in the SNP then these are things that may well happen um, so mm. there's been pe- plenty of kind of p- corporate policies that have been interesting uh, in the context of ex- executive remuneration corporate governance which is a very live topic of discussion at the moment um, and even today in the Conservatives uh, manifesto they they had things in there around uh, higher taxes for uh, higher levies for companies that employ people from outside of the UK. They did talk about executive pay as well, which they is a big, big topic for us. Yes, they talked about having a uh, an annual, a strict annual vote on the pay package, which um, I suppose we take to mean the binding vote that a lot of people have been asking for. So that's going a little bit further than than, than where we we are now, which is, which in it is in itself a little bit further than where we were, say, five years ago. Yes, and it's following the American model and. At the moment, we have a green paper out from the government where it's considering this, so it's not groundbreaking to think that they might pledge it. But at the moment, we have annual uh, advisory votes on the actual pay package and then um, three-yearly votes, binding votes on the actual remuneration policy used to create their annual package. And some people have criticised that um, as as an approach because that annual vote becomes fairly meaningless. Okay, well... I'm sure we'll be covering this more. Uh, it's it's not a subject that is easily remedied. Um, but let's talk about the hack. Let's talk about the hack. Good week for Sophos, which is mm. a, a provider of uh, antivirus software, yeah. largely. But um, this the, the, this little subsector of the tech um, sector has has had a great week of, oh. for obvious reasons. Yeah. So I mean, Sophos, you could have argued when the hack first happened the software would have come out badly from it software actually provides the cybersecurity for the nhs so i mean it doesn't reflect very well on them but the absolute opposite has happened it's it's more the fact that it's obviously now very clear how much everyone from the nhs to massive corporations like fedex need 
cybersecurity, FedEx was another one of one of the global companies that was affected by this hack. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's an important point to, to make that this wasn't just targeting the NHS. No. This, this 150 this com- been... countries, 200,000 organisations. It's it's massive. It, it was a huge hack. And actually, interestingly, I spoke to a um, a small um, cybersecurity company called ECSC earlier in the week, and his C- their CEO he said that. Um, he thinks it may have been an accident because... I think it was an accident. Yeah, because it was so crazy and they've made so little money out of it. And all it is, all they've done for themselves, these hackers, is get all the global organisations who are interested in or, or need to sort this thing out interested in them. So they're all coming after these hackers and they've made no money from it. Well, I'm surprised we haven't blamed the Russians, but... Uh... <laughs> how, how, how is it an accident? So they think what might have happened is... So the hackers will have tried to do this um, this ransomware to a small to a small business or to a, a small business or a company that uses very very old software. Microsoft F- XP is old. Windows XP, yeah, Win- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's old. Um, so I think what this guy from ECSE was saying was um, that they may have thought that far fewer organisations around the world used Windows XP. Mm. So and actually when they they trialed it. And it got into the NHS because the NHS obviously it does have financial problems. We all know that, and it's, it's not really surprising that they've got old software in some of their some of their machines. But once you get into a system like the NHS or a massive organisation like FedEx or any of the other companies around the world that were hacked, one weak link in that chain, and this chain of events was set off. It was all the systems were infiltrated. But yeah, they they do think it was an accident because actually it was very easy to stop the guy who. Managed to stop it. All he had to do was register. I mean, I say all we have to do. Uh, all he had to do. I mean, he had to look very, through the code. Yeah. Of all the, he had to do was be a brilliant few, programmer. Yeah. <laughs> look through the code of the hack. And very few normal people <laughs> could have done it. He was, yeah, obviously very, very intelligent. But actually, I mean, there's a lot of people in the world who can do that. But, it, well, he wasn't an incredibly good cybersecurity person. He was just a cybersecurity person. I thought it was an he interesting problem to, to have a look at. Yeah. yeah. But, but why does this rationally lead to people thinking what you need is the need for high um, high spec security software because arguably all that needed to happen was they had a more up to date version of Windows. Yeah, exactly. Which is why um, the, he says this guy from ECSE he said this hack was very easy, easily preventable. All you needed to do was run the update that Microsoft provided to its Windows XP software. But they haven't supported it for a long time. They hadn't until so they hadn't supported it until so March 2014 was the last time they they supported it until data was stolen from the National Security Agency in the US in March. So the, the na- NSA got hacked. The, the, yeah. So the National Security, the <laughs> so NSA, they have good security. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you would have hoped so, but anyway, they got hacked, and what Microsoft have a massive problem with, and actually a lot of big tech companies have a problem with this. The NSA stores data, stores information about weaknesses in software. Mm-hmm. So which is why Apple's had a massive problem with this as well. And they've they've been very vocal about it. And because the NSA stores the data which says which software has problems, it would once they got once the hackers got that information, and actually it, it was so it wasn't the hackers that they think did this hack. It was different hackers who stole that information and then sold it. It revealed the weakness. So Microsoft did actually run a patch to um, to the XP software, um, and they said that had it, it was a free patch, it was a free 
update that could that's, have been that's done. interesting because a lot of people were blaming lack of funding for the NHS exactly. for, for leaving it and vulnerable. actually had the whole of the NHS run this patch run this software update they would have been fine but one it, all it took was one computer to have this weakness and and the hack got in the virus got in mm. and because the NHS is all about sharing data which is a completely good thing to I, I think it's a fantastic thing you should be sharing as much data as you can within the system but once it was in it made it very very easy for the virus to spread but does it mean logically there will be more demand for sophisticated software so, or does it just mean you need to not be on windows xp anymore yeah. well i know I, w- I would suggest that uh you know the easy the easy the low-hanging fruit of you know a hackability the windows xps of the world that's gone, okay? Mm. So that's all done this week. Um, but hackers will get more sophisticated themselves. Exactly. So, so they, will, yeah. they will start targeting yeah. m- more protected systems. Yeah. And this, this, is, this is why the, this, the guy from e- ECSE thought it was a, um, thought it was a mistake because it was actually quite an easy hack to perform. And hackers, we know from previous hacks that have happened on much more secure systems like the NSA, they can do very, very sophisticated hacks into very secure systems. But so cybersecurity has come into high profile. But when I spoke to the chief executive from Sophos, he said that actually the rising demand for um, cybersecurity, it's, it's been going up constantly. But every time there's a high profile hack, which is once every few months, there is a sudden spike in demand because I mean, everyone realises. I mean, so, so, so there have been some companies involved in the space as providers of uh, essentially security software mm. that have done very well this week. But, yeah. you know, we know this is a problem because we know that companies like TalkTalk mm. have, have, have had some quite severe problems here. I mean, it's, 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 it's not... Um, this is not an isolated incident. No, so, it's not. So, and, so, and, the, and the concern is that if you buy the trend and if you buy the headline, you might end up buying a company like NCC last year or you know 18 months ago mm-hmm. on the basis of this everyone knows we need more cyber security this company provides that software but overdue attention to these stocks can set you up for a fool right because yeah. they then had problems with their contracts and they had contract cancellations so if you're then valuing these companies on the basis that they are going to generate huge revenue really big addressable market you are still embedding a risk there right well funnily enough that's that's kind of what i talk about in my editorial this week um so, so it's related to the nhs it's about the the big it project that, that kicked off at the beginning of the millennium um that i covered as an equity analyst and you know huge amounts of money were going to be thrown at, at creating this universal patient record that could be accessed whether you're in a GP or in a in a in a in a hospital and you know there were a couple of companies in the UK that were servicing this market and you thought yeah they can only win mm-hmm. and of course it didn't work out mm-hmm. that way so yeah there is there is a lesson to be learned which is be careful when buying into big trends mm-hmm. Still be selective about the stocks that you yeah. you choose to play it. But we had results from Sophos, and how are they actually performing? Yeah, Sophos, uh, they've had such a such an impressive year in terms of how many companies they are managing to to sign up as new customers. They're innovating in terms of what their their cybersecurity can do. And actually, ironically, they um, recently launched a um, a ransomware defense mechanism, which. Um, so meaningfully, this is helping them to upsell, isn't it? Yeah. So they're they're signing new customers, and they're also signing. So their their recurring um, their re- their retention of customers is one hundred and six percent because they their customers are 
choosing new software and actually every time there's a hack like this surely yeah you'd think i want to be more secure and actually there there's new legislation coming in um next year which means that the fines for having your systems breached is going to be higher so a lot of companies are now realizing the the reasons that the 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 necessity of having really good cyber security expensive shares though and still not making a profit they are expensive and yeah they're not making they're making cash though um that's good. Yeah, and um, and yeah, the the things are getting the right. Sophos, I would say, I, I we we have them want to buy. I I like Sophos, and um, but yeah, like Ian says, there's been there have been problems. And NCC, which we suggest investors sell, um, even though they're in this massively growing market, they just haven't. It's not been managed well, and you can't just rely on the fact that the market's growing. They have you have to be. Well, they, they, as far as I remember, they seem to be having the opposite problem of not being able to turn, turn profit into cash. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, well, good, it, good week for Sophos, bad week for Vectura. Mm. So the last couple of times we've spoken, Megan, it's been good news from the pharmaceutical industry. Today, uh, this week's issue, not so much. No, well, Vectura and Hikma could also fall into that bad week. Um, together, they have tried to um, launch a, a um, generic version of a big top-selling drug for GSK. It's an asthma drug. It's called Advair. Um, and it's made a lot of money for GSK over the years that it's been a branded product. But Advair actually lost its patent protection in 2010. Um, but it's... So it's an inhaler, and it comes in this very funky inhaler device. Uh, it's called Discus. But that patent protection actually only ran out last year. But because the Discus is such a good inhaler, as inhalers go... I've never seen one of them. No, neither had I until I started covering the pharmaceutical sector. I've <laughs> um, never seen anyone. Yeah. Use, I've seen the old. Yeah, the blue inhalers. ones. Yeah. But the blue ones are also GSK, and they're they're ancient. They were mm, first. Mm. They first came out in 1969. It's they. They look like they first came yeah. out in 1969, and they haven't changed. Is... Yeah, but Discus, It's a different type of inhaler. There's loads of different types of inhaler, but um, it's been a really really big seller for GSK, and um. So Discus lost its patent last year. But because Discus is very, very high-tech, as in Halo, which is, I don't know, plastic and it, it releases I'm sure the, the I'm dose. I'm sure it's what's in it that's, that's high-tech. No, not, it's not... Discus. It's the, this is it's... the problem. Advair, which is the drug, which is in it, right. lost its patent protection in 2010. Discus, which is the inhaler device, lost its patent protection last year. So for the last seven years, people have been able to replicate Advair. But because of discus which is the inhaler they haven't been able to replicate how it is taken when you have when you launch a generic it has to be exactly the same Mm. in terms of dosing in terms of how it's taken it has to be identical but because the pattern protection around the inhaler device was so good it's been very difficult for companies to launch an unbranded version of it so hikma and vectura have together decided to do it hikma makes the drug that goes in it vectura makes the device and vectura actually makes devices for gsk it's a very good device maker, but the um, last week they, um, I think it was on Thursday, they actually had their initial application to the US Food and Drug Administration um, rejected. It's not an all right. It's not an all out. You have failed. It's just we need some tweaks. Um, and it's not the first company this happened to. Um, a few months ago, Mylan, which is a US company. Um, tried to do the same thing and they had the same response from the FDA. It's fine, it works, it's not quite good enough. And what the problem is, is that everyone's been aiming for discus, um, Advair discus, it's it's been a very good drug, but it doesn't dose very consistently 
Um, so you have your you ha- you press the button and you inhale some Advair, but every time you do that, it's not quite the same. And about six months ago, another company, um, Sandoz, um, they um, said that actually the generic version has to be better than Advair Discus because it's not consistent enough. So um, there have been a lot of analysts that have said that actually everyone who's trying to launch a, launch a generic is aiming for a moving target. They've The FDA has changed what they're looking for in the generic version, which this, has made it hard. Is this good news for GSK then? You would have thought so. GSK actually didn't shares didn't move on this news. But in terms of earnings, it's great news because it now means that there's not going to be a generic version of this massive selling drug for at least a year. And the CEO um, of GSK had said that if there was a generic version of Advair launched within the next year, earnings would be flat in 2018, in, well, no, F- FY27 this year. Um, um, and without a generic version of Advair, earnings will go up. So it is good news. Yeah, that does have good news. Yeah. Mark hasn't necessarily responded to that in a way no, that perhaps should um, I mean, d- reading across the industry, is this good news for any company that's that's facing the prospect of uh, patent expiration and, and the, the entry of generic competition? Yeah, it's really difficult to tell. I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's such a complex issue. and But it sounds like the rules around generics are toughening up a little bit. Yeah, Um Especially, well, it's different with every drug. I mean, when it comes mm. to this drug, it's not that expensive anyway. So I suppose the FDA doesn't feel the need to urgently get a generic out onto the market. Um, okay, so that that's a factor. Yeah. The cost of the, the actual oh, yeah. patent. The FDA is under drugs. a huge amount of pressure to lower the cost of drugs, as we all know from drugs pricing issues that's really in the US. that's really interesting i mean mm. that kind of affects the whole way you look at, at this market yeah. I, would, I would say so if there's a really expensive drug then yeah i think the fda i mean there have been examples of the fda approving a generic drug without it being quite as good as the original just because they really need a generic drug yeah yeah, yeah. um and, and if uh drugs u.s drugs pricing is like an interesting topic for you or you follow the farm stocks you should listen to our special one-off podcast that megan created on that exact topic yeah, no, no, and it's a fascinating subject. It is, it's really and, and interesting. It, yeah, yeah, as you say, it's very complicated. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it's so complicated. Listen to the podcast. And, and, and uh, yeah, as drug, like, per drug, everything is different. I mean, I, I can, I don't know how people work for the FDA. It must be, like, crazy complex, but really interesting. I must admit, pharmaceuticals is an area that, as an investor, I would be hesitant to get involved in because John, of the wrong. complexity. That's wrong. Yeah, but it's so difficult. That's how you read the investors' That's why we have you, experts yeah. like you, Megan, to... Uh, to help us navigate this uh, this minefield, um, <laughs> yeah. should, should we have a quick chat about some of the results this week? Um, yeah, I mean, what, what what have you what has struck you as the uh, on the results front the big stories? Well, actually, one that Megan wrote, Vodafone had a good set of results, uh, and a deal that they had done in India or they are doing in India um, has really helped. It's a really complicated picture uh, at their full year stage for their 2017 financial year. So, Megan, you had to pick through a number of kind of exceptional items and, you know, take the results apart and put them back together again. But the underlying picture looks quite good. Yeah, it seems to be, yeah, like you say, it's so complicated, Vodafone. It's such a massive company. Um so in in 2016 they had um they merged their Netherlands their Dutch division um which caused one anomaly and then they've got the India sub- subsidiary which had been doing very badly and they'd actually taken a write down on um on that division at the half year point it was 5 billion euros 
and it's actually reduced to 3.7 billion euros because they've decided to merge that division with a competitor in India. So that turns out to have been quite a canny deal, right? It, it, it meant, and it becomes incredibly technical again because it comes down to the ownership they have of different um, spectrum circles within yeah. India. But it effectively gave them a profitable market share in much more areas of the country than they had before by merging with a rival mm. that was um, strong in the places that they were weak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so Vodafone India has had problems for a while and they've they've been quite vocal about the fact they've been trying to get rid of their India division because it's yeah it has had problems and it's been really competitive in that market because there's been this there's been this new company in India telecoms which has launched a very very low cost um mobile network yeah it's it's been really really cheap with free data so people have been piling into this rival meanwhile vodafone has been piling money into that sounds good why don't they come over here (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i'm not sure the return on investment thus far for that um that individual but it's 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 really interesting because vodafone Mm. have been pouring money into um kind of buying up spectrum in this um uh, country so the problem is that they it's been very loss making mm-hmm. so that they've been very long term in terms of the value they were going to get out of this business what it seemed to me this deal is done is allowed them to kind of really firm up the short term profitability maybe they won't get quite as much profits out of it than if they had kept yeah. Vodafone India if it had succeeded and they could have you know IPO'd it at some point but the merger allows them to kind of um, yeah really kind of uh, yeah. I suppose solve a problem. Uh, yeah, exactly, and it also allows them to push that India division to like Vodafone India wasn't even in- included in these results, and that's worked wonders for their numbers because actually without that d- massive drag, the numbers look really, really good. And the rest of the, uh, excluding the UK, which has also had problems, but the rest of Vodafone is actually doing really, really well. And of the three sort of more pure telecoms companies in the UK, it's far and away the winner of the three that have announced results in the last. 10 days. Indeed, including BT, which we spoke about last week. Yeah, BT and TalkTalk, which were both, yeah, it's, which had tough times. And Vodafone, tough times, but it seems to be emerging from them. Yeah, Vodafone, i got to say, it's a company that I struggle to find any interest in whatsoever. I, I mean, I know, fair I know it's large and, I, you know, there's lots, always lots of interesting deals to, going on and... I mean, it's not, it's not been a brilliant investment in recent years. No. And, uh, the, I mean, the dividend looks... All right. I mean, it's, it looks impressive. It looks very good. Yeah, but is it? I mean, building. is it sustainable? One assumes it is. Well, yeah, their cash flows are actually looking quite good. They've improved a lot, and that has, I think, really sparked a rally in the shares this week because that's the thing that people are interested in voting in the dividend and the sustainability of the dividend is what people were worried about, which is why they why they're yielding close to six percent now. But they're actually saying they're going to make um, five billion euros of free cash flow next year, which is a huge improvement. And on that basis, I mean, it looks like uh, it looks like one stick in your portfolio if you want a bit of income. Yeah, I, I think that it's so big as a company. That's why it's sometimes hard, I think, to, uh, perhaps just me, to get your head around. I mean, you can spend ages talking about Vodafone India yeah. and the deal done there, but it's still just one part of that business. Um, but I think their ability to manage those problems effectively um, mean that they can keep the juggernaut going. And as you say, the 2018 outlook on the cash flow is supportive of the dividend, and that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So actually, um, yeah, it looks like it's doing fairly well, and it's geographically diversified enough that it won't be drawn into some of the um, kind of domestic political issues if they arise, you know, mm. in, 
in the UK. I mean, it, it's now reporting in euros. It's a, it's an international telecom. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's well, our only big international telecom, and it's doing well in in Europe, especially. It's doing really, really well. Um, yeah, I it, it, it seems good. And actually, if you want to be inspired by Vodafone being interesting, just listening to the CEO, he's really he's great. He's really, really enthusiastic, and I can see why it's difficult to be enthusiastic like a, about a company which is as massive and heaving as Vodafone is but they seem to be doing the right things at the moment okay good good can we stop talking about Vodafone (laughs) (laughs) you're not interested in Vodafone I'm not interested in Vodafone I do apologize to Vodafone it's just just, it's one of those companies it's just part of this big old you know ongoing telecoms uh, consolidation story that that is, in- I suspect it's more interesting if you're an investment banker. Mm-hmm. Lots of fees to be, uh, to be, to be earned there. Um, what else have we got in? Are you interested in British land? Not especially. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, we tell me about British going. land. <laughs> um, well, they had a, uh, a set of full-year results for the, uh, the year to March, um, and they weren't bad, actually. I mean, obviously, they were caught up owning, as they do, um, the Leadenhall building, otherwise known as the Cheese Grater. Cheese Grater, yeah. The Cheese Grater. They were very much affected by um, the problems or the kind of, uh, yeah, the disruption in the sector as a result of the referendum vote when people got very nervous about the fate of the city. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we talked about it. We talked about this a lot. So that was the, the, the buying opportunity of a lifetime we suggested, perhaps, at the time. Um that anything with British exposure was, was, was massively oversold. And the dividend yield that you could have got at that point, I'd imagine, was uh, pretty amazing. Um, but we're what, not there now, so... so we're not, we're so not what, there now. What's that, the investment case now? I mean, we... I think we're kind of saying hold for the dividend um, because we previously had, uh, you know, it's on a positive recommendation. There are obviously clearly near-term risks. I think the point that Jonas makes in his introduction was that in that post-referendum panic, he said valuations were plucked out of the air rather than based on transactions, of which there were very few. And and actually you had conveyances at the time that were saying actually in the um, small print of their valuations that it's actually very difficult to give a valuation given the low level of transactions. Yeah, we know. We know at the time they hit a lot of the uh, the uh, open-ended funds who were uh, exposed to this sector because they got they got caught up in this whole valuation discussion, and and lots of people wanted to take their money out. Exactly right, and it, actually, some of the kind of the figures coming through from the full year results uh, showing that actually um, there was a the for the most of the kind of asset classes that British land owned, the types of properties, the first half was bad of this financial year, but the second half, so the six months to the end of March, um, was a lot lower fall in year-on-year valuation. So it shows that some of the sentiment is returning. But what I think you're seeing with the biggest listed REITs, and obviously British land's the second biggest, the biggest is land securities that had its results today, so they don't quite make the magazine, um, is that they've, they had done a lot of work to de-risk their portfolios, um, but also to buy assets at times following the financial crisis where they're getting a very solid return and also they have a high uh, proportion of those properties that are actually let so they are a lot more you know strong and stable yeah well indeed they are indeed strong and stable um but but i would suggest that you know reading between the lines of their strategies they foresee some tougher times ahead. Yes, I, I completely agree with that. I think they were already starting to de-risk because as we've written, as Jonas has written uh, in the in the time prior to the uh, referendum, uh, there was already concern about um, the London market kind of reaching a turn in the cycle. So they'd already started to de-risk, which actually turned to be turned out to be very sensible 
when the Brexit vote happened and some of the sentiment went out of the sector. At the moment, it's such a politicised issue that it's quite hard to say what is happening. Obviously, JP Morgan have just secured an office in Dublin um, for moving some of their investment banking staff there. We don't know how much of an exodus, if any, there's going to be from the city. Obviously, some people are going to want to kind of get into the UK too. So it's it's hard to say at this point, but I think they're taking a very sensible approach, which is to keep the risk in the portfolio um, as low as they can. Um, the, the leverage, I mean, net debt of uh, 30, uh, 33% of total equity is lower than the leverage we would have seen a number of years back. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking at this result. They're reducing their exposure to retail quite clearly, uh, in particular supermarket retail. Yeah. And we've seen that across the board. Um, they're taking profits on, on where they've been successful in development, including the cheese grater, and, and, and developments that they are getting involved in, they're not doing speculatively. Exactly right. And, so they, and even now at this price, to your point about is this, you know, have we have investors potentially missed a boat? They are still trading at quite a strong discount to the adjusted net asset value. That, yeah, that's um, chunky, 28%. Exactly. That's... You know, that, and that's to the, I think that's to the statutory. Oh, it's actually, it's, a, it's about the same regardless of the forecast because um, there's not much forecast growth in there. Um, so, yeah, essentially there's a big discount they're giving up. So if you are more positive about the, um, the outlook for the city, um, then perhaps uh, you'll still see some kind of value in that dividend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's some nice looking share prices in the uh, the magazine this week, uh, not just Sophos, which is, uh, which is uh, 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 an upward sloping share price. There's quite a few. Uh, I'm looking at Bruin Dolphin, which, I, which is always intriguing because it kind of, it straddles both our audience as, as customers, but also as, as investors in Bruin Dolphin itself in the wealth management sector. This is, this is an interesting story, I think. It's one you've looked at recently. Yes, and it's a company where a couple of years ago, I think people would have said Bruin Dolphin was behind some of the other wealth managers in, tra- in making the transition that that whole industry is making, which is towards discretionary investment management, where they do the day-to-day decisions of the investment so allocation. So basically, you just give them a load of money and they'll go and invest it for yeah. you and hopefully give you a nice return at the end of the year. As opposed to the more of the commission-based revenue that was traditional where um, you would, you know, they would give advice to a client and the client would essentially like, then decide what to do. And Fairly standard broken arrangement. Exactly. So the, the whole industry has moved. So obviously those... Um, the reason why a lot of wealth managers want that discretionary wealth management uh, business is because it is stickier. The assets tend to stick with the um, with the manager because uh, the audience, because the people who are buying it, are naturally more hands off. Yeah, they don't want they're to move delegating, it and that's a, that's a big trend uh, that, that we're seeing in that industry. Um, and you know they want someone else to make the decision for them. There were wealth managers that were further along that uh, path, um, and Bruin Dolphin was 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 kind of behind what it's done really well is to make that transition towards discretionary management resetting its revenue base while winning and it inflows and what the wealth managers have done really well the asset managers have really struggled with is winning inflows even during times where people have got nervous about european equities over the past couple of years or where people have got nervous about the rise of passive strategies so there's something still about wealth management. It could be next. I've been looking at this a little bit. Could, they could be next for the fee squeeze with, with um, asset managers like Vanguard coming in, offering an incredibly low-cost passive service. Well, that, that was mentioned in the Seven Days Post this week. Yeah, and that really hurt Hargreaves Lansdowne's shares. So tell, tell me about what is this? So Vanguard is a huge passive 
Tracker funds. Fund manager. Tracker funds. They charge incredibly low um, management charges um, for investors to invest in that tracker fund. Tracking, say, the FTSE 100. Exactly. Or so you maybe pay 15 basis point, 20 basis point for a kind of passive treasures. Yep. There are other good passive uh, managers out there. It's not just Vanguard, but Vanguard have really disrupted the asset management industry by offering something incredibly cheap at a time where people are really questioning the value of active management because over the past few years, if you had just invested passively, you would have enjoyed the commodities bounce over the past year or so. You would have enjoyed all kinds of other bounces, whereas active managers, which they never would do, they, they haven't performed so well in an environment where markets have just marched generally upwards. So the big worry for asset management is that vanguards drive all the fees down i can't wait to see what people have to say about passive management when we go into a proper bear market and that's the yeah and that is the million dollar question (laughs) and actually that speaks to the wealth management uh point which is that yes there might be a bit of a rotation back to active fund management when things start going wrong Although even then, you would imagine there will still be that pressure on fees. But what wealth managers try and do is to help people over and above that basic fund management charge by providing advice. So it's the idea that a wealth manager earns their money by telling clients to think longer term when it comes to their investment. Yeah, also, also I would suggest by helping them think strategically about asset allocation, the kind of things we write about in the magazine. Financial planning, lot. inheritance planning, Absolutely. all the value-add services. So I, I think what they're doing well is to build that longer-term relationship that is very different from just investing via uh, Vanguard. So the thing that happened this year week was that Vanguard launched its um, direct-to-consumer platform. So this is what people are worried about. So previously, you had only ever been able to buy its products through intermediaries. Exactly. So if you're a private investor, you want to invest a little bit. And if you're convinced of the idea of low cost and you've heard of Vanguard, which I think is a crucial point, you can go directly to them and invest with them. Um, Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, you can buy ETFs anyway. You can, yeah. So, so yeah. Okay. But it, what it will do... I don't know why it feels like such a game-changer for Hargreaves, but there you go, Hargreaves lands down. They just have such a large market share of the platform market. They're valued very highly by the market because they have such a huge presence that I think the concern is that that market share could be chipped away. What we understand about Hargreaves Lansdowne from, from looking at it as a, as a business, but also through, through our own research into what our, our readers actually want from a, from a broker, from a platform, is actually people value Hargreaves not for... The, the price, not for the cheapness, but for the, for the support that yes. they get from it. And this goes, this goes back to your point about what wealth management offers. Yeah, exactly. And Hargreaves have always made that point because obviously it's not the first time that people have started talking about fees. People have been banging on about fees for years. And Hargreaves have always said, we're never going to be the cheapest, but we will provide the tools, a very good platform that is incredibly popular. Um, I think they have almost a million, about 900,000 active users. Of oh, it's, that it's huge. It's, it's absolute, absolutely huge. It's absolutely huge. People like it because it's easy. Not to give them too much of a plug, but they like it because it's easy. And also there is guidance around what to pick. Mm-hmm. That's a very different kettle of fish to just buying a passive fund on a platform, you know, because they build in other things around what, which fund should you pick? What kind of um, asset allocation approach should you take? Well, Obviously, you, things that we do at the Investors yeah, Chronicles. <laughs> but, but like you say, it, it comes back to that value of active management, but there's no getting away from the fact that Vanguard is really, along with the technology, the technological threat, I suppose, of companies like Nutmeg that have come in, there's kind of a twin, there's the 
the cheap uh, options and then there are the smart technological options for the younger investor and i think the fund management community the wealth management community needs to answer both of those challenges yes yeah, so, i mean big pressures then for for the industry as a whole but but actually a lot of wealth managers are, are, are positioning themselves quite sensibly yeah they're insulated they would say because of the advice that they provide that people still use and because of that relationship they build and uh I would further suggest that if you are uh, someone who is more concerned about fees, all of this is good news because because it only means that fees are going one way, which is down. Yeah, exactly. And wealth managers are vocal about the fact that they try and put some pressure themselves on the fund management component of their charge. So if passive investment becomes cheaper because asset managers really can try and compete with Vanguard, then wealth managers can try and pass that on to their clients. Okay. Well, we're running out of time. In fact, we've run out of time. Let's uh, let's call it a day there. Um, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Ian. Lots more in the magazine this week. The usual stock screen from Algae, which is a uh, kind of best of the best stock screen this week. Uh, we've looked at the recruitment sector and the sector focus. Um, obviously, a sector that has uh, has r- uh, raised lots of concerns, certainly surrounding the Brexit vote. We haven't talked about the features on this podcast. We have uh, a cover feature from our friend over in America, Todd Wenning, um, who's written, uh, who's continued his super size series with some uh, some small caps who are set to deliver big returns, and uh, his track record has been has been fantastic uh, so far. Big piece on the property sector. We've talked about some of the pressures that sector is under uh, uh, already. Jonas Crossland has basically uh, put together a two part series. First part this week, second part next week, really helping us to uh, t- to navigate some of the, uh, the the pressures that will inevitably worsen uh, in the next couple of years. All the usual comments, lots of news, all the usual tips, uh, and obviously lots in the personal finance uh, section, which they will no doubt discuss on their podcast, which will be recorded tomorrow. And hopefully we're going to get this right this week, so we won't have to revisit the studio tomorrow morning. Including Neil Woodford selling out of GSK and buying into Lloyd's. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, well, I'm sure they will talk about that tomorrow. But it, but it is interesting. So interesting, it made it onto the cover. Everyone likes to know what Neil Woodford's up to. He is, uh, he is a bit of a shrewdy. So uh, anyway, thank you, uh, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Supersize returns. Uh, more US small caps set to deliver big profits. £4.90 in all good news agents or get online and subscribe. Thank you very much.